We're thankful that uh, we have the opportunity to be out at the house of God. And uh, as I was uh, as I was thinking about uh, the services today and thinking about uh, uh, the events in our in our nation, uh, elections and riots and so forth that were going on this week, and uh, I I thought, isn't God amazing? Uh, you know, we should know that anyway, but. Uh, thinking about the fact that uh, back uh, in September, early September, I started preaching through the book of Romans uh, and for, I guess for various reasons, began preaching about the fifth chapter of the book of Romans and uh, have carried out chapter by chapter, verse by verse over the last several months. And uh, last week when I, uh, I thought I would do uh, cover some things in chapter 12 of Romans and chapter 13, but... Uh, as I began to preach, I ended up spending a lot of time in chapter 12 and things related to that uh, and never did get to chapter 13 of Romans. And I thought, isn't it amazing uh, that uh, this week I will be preaching on the things that are contained in uh, Romans chapter 13, especially considering that's one of the prime chapters that you would find that lays out Christians' responsibility toward government. Uh, and how we are to respond to those uh, that are in authority around us. And uh, so I think it's highly interesting and very timely for us as a congregation uh, to be talking a little bit this morning, if you will, about uh, how we, uh, what is the attitude of a Christian toward government. And this is not just toward governments that are good. Uh, if it was just about governments that were good, uh, well, that would, be, that would be easy, but I think we have to sit and look at the context of the writing of the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome. Again, uh, as we've looked at over several months, the, Paul is writing to a group of Jews and Gentiles that are gathered together in Rome that Paul has not yet visited. He spent the first uh, 11 chapters of this, uh, of this book writing to them about the fact that they were all sinners regardless of their race, background, you know, we could put it in today's language, regardless of creed, color, whatever, you know, regardless of where, what their background was, they were all sinners, they were all justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, they were all, if they were going to worship, they were going to worship by the faith that God had planted in their heart, not by their laws, not by their, uh, by their religious laws that they had, or by their pagan backgrounds that they had. Uh, and as he, as he begins into this 12th chapter, uh, and I said, yes, I'm preaching on 13, but we, let's mention 12 just a minute. Uh, as he goes into the 12th chapter, he talks about the fact, uh, and I'll, I'll put it back this way, if I didn't, didn't say this last Sunday or over the last couple of Sundays, the 12th chapter is about the Christian's responsibility to live and to act uh, according to what God has worked in their heart by salvation uh, and, and that we are to live out our faith here in this world that we live in. And Paul gives us examples of how we're to live out our faith, how each and every one of us has been given a gift that we're to use that gift for the benefit of the body of Christ while we live here. And as we get over to the end of the 12th chapter, I, I, again, I think it's interesting that, uh, considering the events and times and so forth that we're living in, we get to the end of this 12th chapter. He says, he says this, uh, verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And we preached on that last Sunday, uh, that uh, the fact that, uh, you know, some people it's, uh, it's not possible. But he says he implores the child of God, the Christian, the, the person that's been saved by the grace of God, that's walking and living by faith uh, while they live here. He says, if it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Dear, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. As it, as it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Uh, uh, so again, we're, think of the context of, of the end of 12, our responsibility to live as God has saved us and as we're to walk and to live by faith, 
we're not, uh, we're to, as much as is in us, we're to live peaceably with all men. We're not to take vengeance. Vengeance is God's. He'll, he'll repay. Uh, and he says, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And we mentioned last week that that has a possibly a, a different context than what we've always, maybe many of us have thought over the years. Uh, uh, but that's actually showing a kindness to people to give them coals for their journey so that they can be able to uh, kindle fire along the road and so forth. He says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And we finished up last, last week by saying, if it wasn't possible for God's children to be overcome with evil, he would have admonished us here to not be overcome of evil. Why make a comment like that if it wasn't possible for God's people to be overcome with evil, uh, to live in ways that they shouldn't live? And he says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good, living a good godly life. Now, so we get into chapter 13, and chapter 13 he goes uh, from our individual responsibility to the body of Christ and to live and walk by faith, and he gives, begins to give the Christians responsibility toward the government under which they live. You think about the time of which uh, the, the church at Rome was living, and we, I think it's proper for us to set this in context, first of all, to the historical times that were that were existing during the time of the church at Rome. You had a you had a pagan uh, a nation, uh, the Roman nation, the Roman Empire, led by men that thought they were God himself, that required worship of the people. Uh, and uh, not only that, many of the leaders of the of Rome, uh, and uh, some of you that are more familiar with with Roman history than I am, but uh, uh, many of the Roman leaders, uh, uh, you change from leader to leader, from Caesar to Caesar, if you will, many times because one person killed another person, and so uh, uh, the person that came to power a lot of times, it was by the murder of the previous person that had been in power. Uh, and so... As we, as we look at what God teaches us through the Apostle Paul here and through other places, uh, I, would, uh, I was thinking about this morning uh, as, I, as I kind of pause in some places here. You know, the Apostle Paul told the young preacher Timothy uh, in Second uh, Timothy chapter, chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. As we go into this this morning uh, and look at the, our responsibility to, the, to government, uh, it's going to be important for us to rightly divide the truth uh, because Paul has, a, uh, I think, a particular outlook he's using here in Romans 13 toward government, but he doesn't tell you everything you need to know about living under a government here in the 13th chapter of the book of Romans. And so it's going to be necessary for me to go to some other places and to blend some other scriptures in with this so we get a little bit more. And I'm not going to tell you that I'm going to be able to fully get, to give you the full 100%, 100 plus, 110% of everything about our responsibility to government, but I'm going to try to cover it in such a way that you get a, uh, a general sense of our responsibility as well as some uh, what I would call exceptions to the things that are laid out here. If there are exceptions to our obedience, what are they? Right, uh, because today a lot of people might look around, and people might have even looked. I think part part of what Paul was trying to address with the church at Rome, considering you have a pagan nation, considering you have a pagan man who thinks he's God leading that nation, uh, what would the responsibility of the Christians be to serve that government? Uh, and you you see how uh, historically, and maybe again, this maybe this is part of the reason Paul was writing this letter. Uh, Jew, the Jews, in particular, had a sense of their of serving their God, uh, uh, the same God we worship, but the, the the God of heaven and earth. That they felt like they didn't have a responsibility, uh, maybe to 
to serve, uh, to be a servant of the Roman Empire. And so thus the, many of the rebellions that you had in Jerusalem and other places down through time, uh, rebelling against the government that was there and so forth. And also then you have this group of Gentiles who are there at Rome uh, that had come from a pagan background. You know what they had come to understand? They had a king. Uh, they had a king of king and a lord of lords uh, and this king uh, and a kingdom that they were serving him in and so uh, you can imagine maybe on their part they might have thought uh, well I've already got a king I don't need to serve a, God, a worldly king so uh, I've already and maybe the Jews thought the same thing and so Paul is having to come back and, uh, and, and address to the church at Rome what is your responsibility, church at Rome? And in doing so, he's addressing my and your responsibility to government today. Uh, and we can look at uh, many things. If you think about civil government as it exists, you know that when the children of Israel came out of, uh, uh, were brought by God out from under a pagan nation in Egypt and uh, and carried into the to the land of uh, uh, into the wilderness, if you will, where they began to worship at Mount Sinai. God first of all gave them the Ten Commandments, the law, if you will, uh, on how they were to uh, uh, what how they were to respond to God. Uh, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, with all thy might. Uh, have no other gods before me. Uh, uh, how they were to conduct themselves with their fellow man uh, and so forth in those Ten Commandments. Uh, God also gave them laws that we find in Leviticus. Uh, and in Leviticus, what God addressed was the civil law, if you will. He, he addressed how they were to treat one another and then what the remedies were when they mistreated one another. Uh, we could carry this fact, the need for civil government, not just the Ten Commandments, was laid out by God to Israel as he made Israel a nation. He gave them civil laws, what they were to do if somebody murdered somebody, what they were to do if somebody defrauded somebody, how they were to repay one another. He even, as we get over into the time uh, after they had journeyed into the wilderness, he, he clarified their civil laws to them. And I'm, I'm, I'm framing this in the sense of civil law being necessary, not just religious law about God and about, and about how we're to conduct ourselves as God's children, uh, but how a civil law governs people. Uh, they, God even laid out, and you've probably, probably heard this, as they were getting ready to go into the land of Canaan, uh, he laid out for them seven cities of refuge uh, that were in both, uh, if you want to call it today, you would call some of it was in Jordan, some of it was in the land of Canaan, uh, and it was done that because some of the children of Israel settled on one side of the Jordan River, and some of them settled on the Canaan side of the Jordan River, and God wanted it, to, and these seven cities of refuge were given to them so that if somebody accidentally killed someone, and today we would call it like you know, manslaughter or accidental death or whatever like that, uh, to keep them from being automatically put to death under the law, these people could flee to one of the seven cities of refuge that God had laid out, and all of them were laid out across the land so that none of the, no person, no tribe would be more than one day's journey from one of these cities of refuge where they could go and plead their case and say, it was an accident. I didn't mean to do it. So anyway, so God laid out the necessity of civil law, uh, beginning with the children of Israel. Then uh, we see that, uh, and we'll maybe get to this a little bit, uh, but God uses, uh, God raises up nations, God raises up kings, and he tells us that in his word. All right. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to read the first seven verses of this 13th chapter. I'm then going to go over to a place in First Peter uh, and read uh, some comments that Peter made, and see. And then we'll maybe turn to First uh, Timothy and see some comments that that uh, Paul made to Timothy and begin to put some things together as to how Paul and Peter. And, uh, and Paul, again, addressed things with, with the government. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that are ordained of God. 
Uh, now, uh, if we stop and pause for just a moment, uh, it doesn't matter today what you think about uh, the, uh, the president-elect or the president that's going out. Uh, the Bible tells us these powers, these governments, are ordained of God. And we'll see that a little bit later. Uh, uh, people say, well, I don't like this president, or I don't like this, uh, this governor, I don't like... You know, it doesn't matter as Christians whether you like them or not. We have a responsibility to how we serve government and how we serve the laws of this land and it's ordained because these things are ordained of God, okay? Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be, or be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive them unto themselves damnation. And that word damnation simply means judgment. Or, uh, uh, so he says uh, uh, they'll receive to themselves. It doesn't, doesn't mean you're going to be cast into hell because you resist the local government. Okay, It doesn't mean you may have, judge, it may have judgment brought upon you by that government. Uh, and by and by the things of God. And he says, for rulers are not a terror to good works. Now here's where I want to make sure you understand. Uh, this is how government should be. <laughs> okay? Government is not, civil laws are not instituted to be a terror to good works. Uh, so he says, for rulers are not a terror to good works, uh, but to the evil. That's... That's why God instituted civil law. Can you imagine? I want to pause just a minute and let you think about this. I, I've had some time to meditate on this over the last several days. Can you imagine what this country would be like without any law? Can you imagine what any government or what any country would be like without law? without laws governing them, their conduct. And then that necessitates, there are, there, if there's going to be laws, there have to be people to enforce laws. <laughs> uh, and laws need to be enforced, you know. And so, uh, and, and it addresses some things. Brother Todd, I, I hope some of the, my comment, when you'll find at least somewhat uh, uh, humorous as we, as we get to that point. He says, for rulers are not to a terror to good works, but to evil. Will thou not... <laughs> Will thou then not be afraid of the power? In other words, if we think about this, and he gets on and says this, since rulers are not to be a terror to good works, you and I, as God's children, we shouldn't be afraid of the rulers and the powers and the things that are ordained uh, because they're not to be a terror to you and me. Uh, he says, uh, but to the evil, will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Now, he's telling these people, even at Rome, okay, you do, you act right. You follow the laws. You do the things that you're supposed to do, and you'll have praise of men. Even under a pagan Roman government, Paul was telling the church at Rome, obey the laws that are set out before you, and he gives us some detail of what those laws are that we're to obey. And then we will talk a little bit, go to some other portions of Scripture to talk about uh, the, probably what I'm going to call the one exception clause. And the one exception clause to obeying the government is laid out in both Old and New Testament. Uh, so that we don't have to say, well, that's just an Old Testament thing, or oh, that's, that happened in the... No, it happened in both the Old and the New Testament, and I think that we take that as significant uh, when we're reading the, reading the Word of God uh, and, and looking at these things. For he says, uh, <clears throat> Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God. Oh, wait a minute. You mean, you mean the president is a, is a minister of God? Well, in the, it's a minister in the sense that he's a servant. And that's what that word is talking about. He's, he, the powers that be are ordained of God. In other words, they're established of God. They have a responsibility to God for how they act and how they conduct themselves. Just because a man is raised up to be king, or president in our case, or governor in our case, that does not, it is not to be inferred that they have the right to act any way they want to act, okay? Or to conduct themselves any way they want to conduct themselves. It also doesn't infer that we are to obey them in an absolute 100% ob obedience 
but there is an obedience we are to give to him. Okay, and like I said, I'll get to the exception clause as we look at this. And he says, for he is a minister of God to thee for good. He's to be the servant of God to people that are living good. He's to be a servant or a minister to God to, of good, to good people, right? And he says, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. Today, as is where I thought Brother Todd might find this at least somewhat interesting, you know, he says uh, the government or the uh, enforcer of laws, the minister of God to good, he doesn't bear the sword in vain. Today we might say, he did, you know, if it was written in today's language, he said he, might, he doesn't bear the pistol in vain. In other words, uh, law enforcement has, has swords and pistols for a reason. Why? Because they're necessary sometimes to enforce the law. Uh, and he says, uh, he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So God is telling us here in this 13th chapter, the government and the, uh, minister, the minister of God, the minister of good, toward good and against evil, has the authority of God to, uh, uh, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So civil government is set up not only to, uh, to praise men that are doing good, but it's also set up to punish those that are not doing good. Uh, and it says, Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, uh, but for conscience sake. In other words, uh, you need to be obedient to the laws, one, because you're scared of the wrath of the man with the sword and the gun, okay? Uh, and secondly, we're to be obedient to the government and to the laws for conscience sake, for, your, for what God has written in your heart. Uh, you're, to, you're to realize this is how I'm supposed to act. I'm supposed to be obedient to the civil laws and to the things that are set up here in our government. Uh, uh, so for your conscience sake and for your conscience toward God, that you're, you're actually serving God by doing what God requires toward a good conscience, you ought to do that not just because you're afraid. You know, some people, that's what, some, well, I was afraid I was going to get in trouble was the reason I didn't go down there and hit that man on the head. Well, hopefully uh, you didn't go down and hit the man on the head, one, because you were afraid of wrath, but secondly, uh, because you knew uh, uh, for conscience sake that was wrong because God had written it in your heart and on your mind how to serve him. For this cause, pay tribute also uh, for they that are God's, for they that are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. So uh, tribute, taxes, if you will, uh, we, we have a responsibility to pay taxes. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, uh, as we get into this. Uh, but he says, uh, render therefore unto all their dues. Children of God are not to be owing debts that they don't, uh, that they shouldn't, you, you, you make a, a deal with somebody and you uh, do something. You know, in, in Proverbs, it warns us about getting into woeful debt. Uh, and, and so uh, we need to, first of all, recognize that we don't need to be getting into overly debt. And uh, uh, why? Because then you become a slave to the person that you owe the debt to. Uh, yeah, I thought about that, you know, as I read that in later years and I'm reading through the scriptures and seeing what it says about debt and those kind of things. And it says you become a slave to the one that you owe the debt to. And I thought, yeah, that's the reason I had to work all those years. I decided to go in debt to pay off a house and then I become a, a slave a, a slave laborer to the person I worked for because I had to pay off the debt that I owed. Anyway, so that's, you know, sometimes it was just a proper perspective on things. But he says, uh, render therefore unto all their dues. If you owe somebody something, you pay them. Uh, that has been the mark or should have been the mark down through the years of God's people. When they have a debt, they pay their debts. Uh, uh, they don't, uh, they're not uh, uh, so that they have a good reputation both within the church and without the church. Uh, and there's a lot of ways you could have a bad reputation outside the church besides not paying your debts uh, by the way you act and so forth. But uh, we're not to uh, uh, render therefore to all their dues Tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Owe no man, I said I was going to read seven, I'll read eight. Owe no man anything but to love one another, 
For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. He says the only debt you'll never fully get paid up is the fact to love one another. You will owe that debt from the time you're born till the time you die, and you will never get it paid up. So he says, oh, no man, nothing except to love one another. That's an ongoing debt that you will always have. All right, let's turn over to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, and I'll begin reading with verse 13. Submit, uh, uh, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Now, this is Peter writing. Peter was an apostle uh, uh, to the Jews. Uh, Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, Peter's writing this letter over here, and he says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether he be king as supreme or unto governors, as, as unto them that are sent by him for punishment of evildoers. So he tells us again that these, uh, these governors or these kings are, are sent by God to the, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. That is the responsibility. That's what government should be. Uh, they should be for the praise of those that are doing good and the punishment of those that are not doing good. Now, when government begins to do the opposite and punish those that are doing good and praise those that are doing evil, government has gotten out of bounds uh, to what God, God's purpose for government is to be. Okay, but he says, For so, verse 15, 1 Peter chapter 2, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Even though we've been set free, uh, and this world is not our home, uh, we've been set free from sin and so forth. He says, don't use your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness or a cover for your, uh, for your sins uh, uh, while you're here in this old world. Uh, but, but nevertheless, be servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only the good and the gent and gentle, but also to those that are forward. So again, Peter echoes what Paul tells us in Romans 13, that we have a responsibility to be obedient to the government under which we've been placed. Now, uh, so let's, let's first of all address something about uh, or, or look at some verses about, again, one, our responsibility to government, and then secondly, uh, how these things come to be. And boy, I sure hope I have time to get through a lot of this that's on my mind today. If we turn over to... Uh, if we turn over to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, he tells us there, uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the young preacher Timothy says, I exhort therefore, or, or you know, I'm, I'm uh, imploring you, encouraging you, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications and pray prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may, that we, may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Why, what is one of the major reasons we're to pray for kings and those that are in authority? And I know you understand when I say kings in the United States of America, I'm talking about presidents or people that are in that kind of an authority position. For king, We're to pray for them uh, and for all that are all that are in authority, uh, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all goodness and honesty. What is our number one prayer? Our number one prayer for our government should be, Lord, let, let them do whatever they do and let them leave us alone so that we can live a quiet and peaceable life of service to you. Don't let them, don't, you know, Lord, don't let them pass laws that are going to hinder our service to you. Because what we want to do is we want to live a quiet and peaceable life here in this world allowed 
to worship and serve God in whatever manner we see fit according to scriptures to serve our God. That ought to be our number one prayer. Uh, Lord, let this government, uh, you know, let them once serve and do in such a way uh, that they would be for the praise of good and for the punishment of evil. And Lord, let them leave us alone so that we can serve you peaceably and quietly right here in this old world until the time that we can go on. Now, uh, and remember, uh, in the meantime, we have a responsibility to the laws of this land to pay our taxes, to pay our tithes, to, uh, uh, to be obedient to the things that, uh, 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 that the laws that are instituted, as long as those laws don't come down and tell us you cannot worship God. When the, when the laws began to say that you can't uh, assemble and worship God and, and, or, or even worship God or they institute gods that we are to worship instead of God, then we have, a response, we have a, an example laid out in God's Word that we are not obligated to that. And we'll get it, Lord willing, we'll get into that. Uh, so I want to look for just a moment uh, and let's talk about uh, uh, the fact that God, uh, first of all, let's turn back to uh, Romans 13 and let's read again the first part of that, uh, that letter there, or the first part of that chapter. Uh, he says, Let every soul be subject unto higher powers, for there is no power but of God, and the powers are be are ordained are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation or judgment. So let's turn over if we can. Let's uh, let's uh, go back. First of all, let's go to the book of Jeremiah. I want to go to Jeremiah first, then we're going to go to the book of Daniel. Uh, well, let's go to Jeremiah. And I want us to think about the fact that we mentioned this earlier, uh, but all all of these uh, all of these uh, uh, you know the Roman Empire was not a godly uh, enterprise. Okay, uh, it was a it was a pagan, false god worshiping, uh, very much persecuted the early church because they didn't like new religions coming along. I'm talking about the Romans, didn't they? Didn't like new religions. They would tolerate existing religions in a lot of cases and try to blend them into their worship, uh, but they didn't like something new coming along. So, uh, uh, but in, in all of this, Paul is telling the church at Rome, let every soul be subject to the higher powers and, uh, and the powers that be ordained of God. Let's turn to uh, Jeremiah chapter 27, and I'll try to do some reading here. Uh, this is during the time of Jer uh, Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, uh, was the king of Judah, and, and, the, and uh, came this word unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord to me, Make thee bonds and yokes, and put them upon thy neck, and send them to the king of Edom, and to the king of Moab, and to the king of the Ammonites, and to the king of Tyrus, and to the king of Zidon, by the hand of the messengers which come to Jerusalem from Zedekiah, king of Judah. And command them to say unto their masters, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Thus shall ye say unto your masters, I have made the earth and man and beast that are upon the ground by my great powers and by my outstretched arm and have given it unto whom it seemed meet unto me. <clears throat> so first of all, we find here in Jeremiah, God saying, I made everything and I gave it to whom, I, whom it pleased me to give it to. And we turn over to the book of Daniel and we'll find over there in uh, uh, several, a couple of different places and I hope I can turn to, to both of those places uh, uh, here this morning. But here in the, uh, the book of Daniel, you understand in the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. Uh, there are those that are not uh, of his wise men and his uh, soothsayers uh, or his magi or whatever you want to call them down there that were not able to interpret the dream that the king had. And so uh, uh, it tells us, beginning with verse 8, and I, and I'll, I know this will read a, a little bit here, but uh, uh, Daniel finally comes before uh, the king and, began, and he tells 
uh, Daniel what the vision is that he's had, and, uh, and Daniel then begins to reveal to him uh, what the vision is. And uh, uh, so as we get this, Daniel, uh, then Daniel, verse 19 of, of Daniel chapter 4, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was a stone for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream nor the interpretation thereof trouble thee. And Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. And so uh, uh, as he's talking about this, uh, uh, he lets, uh, Daniel lets him know uh, uh, that God raises kings up, and God takes kings down. Uh, so uh, as, uh, as, he's, uh, as he's looking at this, and I may have turned back over to Daniel chapter 2 to find the exact verse. Let's turn back to Daniel chapter 2 because there's several different things that here in the book of Daniel that relates to all this. So make sure I get to the right place. Verse 19 of chapter 2. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in the night vision. And this is the, uh, the vision that uh, was given to him earlier about uh, the, uh, the Babylon and the Chaldeans and so forth. And he says, he revealed unto Daniel in the night the vision. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. God sets kings up. He takes kings down. Now, we have an, we have an example of this uh, uh, in the children of Israel and the time of Daniel. Uh, the children of Israel had been rebelling. Well, we could talk about two different examples, if you would. Uh, but one, one example is the Bible tells us that God raised up the Assyrian Empire because the uh, the northern tribes, I'd go back and give you a little history real quick, but uh, if you go back and look after the days of Solomon, uh, the, ch the kingdom of Israel split into two parts. Uh, and the northern ten tribes began to worship in a place other than, Jer than Jerusalem, and they also began to worship false gods. And God tolerated this for some period of time, and finally he raised up the Assyrian nation, and the Assyrian nation came in and conquered the ten northern tribes and led them off into captivity. And thus one of the reasons a lot of people today say, you know, uh, for people trying to determine exactly what tribe they come from, uh, in, uh, as an Israelite be almost impossible these days. There are some that maybe have continued to trace their, uh, their lineage down through from the Levites or maybe from the tribe of Judah uh, and so forth. But you talk, take the ten northern tribes, they've been dispersed abroad uh, and uh, with very little identity left as to where they, where they came from. Uh, uh, but uh, first of all, God raises up the Assyrian Empire uh, to conquer uh, the northern ten tribes and punish the children of Israel for their rebellion against God. Derek and I had this conversation this week. Uh, and, and I'm just saying, uh, I'm, I am not a prophet, okay? Uh, and I'm not telling you that I know the mind of God because I don't believe anybody knows the mind of God. Uh, this day and time for sure. Uh, but uh, uh, is, is, the, is the time in which we're living... And you look at many of the things that are being done in this nation uh, that we're living in today. Uh, everything from abortion uh, to the promotion of same-sex marriage to on and on, okay? Uh, we could talk. And do, you th do we think in today's world that God doesn't hold us accountable for these sins? And I'm going to tell you even more so, He holds the government accountable for their sins and the things that they've done he doesn't, uh, uh, you know, me and you, we have a responsibility to be obedient to government. That's what's laid out here in God's Word. Uh, but the government and the leaders of our government have a responsibility to be obedient to God because God ordains government and He sets rulers up and He takes rulers down. And we go on here in this fourth chapter. Uh, I, I, I was still in the second chapter, but the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel. And we find a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had uh, uh, was that, uh, uh, first of all, he was a tree. Uh, and it finally it tells us uh, uh, that part of what he saw in the dream uh, was that he was cut down, the tree was cut down to a stump. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, uh, and that was a foretelling of what was going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar because God pointed out to Nebuchadnezzar 
the reason you are in authority, Nebuchadnezzar, is because I raised you up. Why did God raise the land of Babylon up? We've talked about why he raised up Assyria. He raised up Assyria to bring punishment upon the ten northern tribes for their idolatry and their rebellion against God. Well, he raised up Babylon, the Bible tells us, because the nation of Israel, those that were worshiping the one true and living God, had not, uh, uh, had not been obedient uh, to let the land that they had been given, the, the part of that instruction that had been given to them by God when they went into Canaan, they were to let the land rest every seven years. Uh, it's, a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing to think about. Uh, you know, I, I tell people, you know, in the modern days, I grew up, as many, as y'all, many of y'all know, I grew up around farms and uh, on a farm and around farms down in Mississippi. And boy, it really became the thrill thing back in the 60s. They discovered skip row farming. In other words, what they learned was that if you let the land rest from one year to another year and then come back and plant again, uh, uh, it actually produced more. Well, lo and behold, God told the children of Israel of that thousands of years ago when he told them, let the land rest on the seventh year. I will give you enough food to feed you for the sixth year and the seventh year and get you over into the eighth year when you can make another crop because you are to let the land rest. Well, they didn't. They, they greedy, greedy people, okay? And, and just like a lot of people today. Uh, you know, I could, I could go on a tear, if you would, but I'm not going to do that this morning to offer all of your benefit here and those that might be listening about how greed of money has influenced what people do in this country and in our governments today, okay? We could take on that tear, but we'll not do that, okay? Uh, but he, did, he does tell us they didn't let the land rest because you know what they figured out? They, fig- they figured out they could plan in the seventh year and get more and to sell more and do more, and they did it a, a time or two or three, and they said, well, nothing happened. God, God said let it lay fallow, but we planted it. Nothing happened, so, hey, it must be all right. You know, there's a Just because you get away with it, I'm, I'm telling all of us, just because you get away with it one time or two times or three times don't mean it's all right with God, okay? Uh, and so uh, they didn't let the land lay fallow for 70, for 490 years, 77 years, <laughs> 70 years of seven, which is 490 years. And if after 490 years, uh, he, uh, he told them even beforehand, he says, I'm going to raise up a nation uh, to punish you if you don't get it right. Uh, and they didn't. And so he raised up Babylon. They came in and they carried the children of Israel down into Babylon for how long? 70 years. They were to go down there and the land was going to rest. God's land was going to have its rest uh, whether, they did, whether they let it or not. Uh, and so uh, Nebuchadnezzar was one of these kings that was, ra- that was raised up for this. But you know what Nebuchadnezzar began to do? You read the fourth chapter. I'm not going to do all that this morning. Uh, but uh, Nebuchadnezzar began to boast in his pride. Look at all these things that I've gotten by my might and by my power. And God sent him a vision. He said, in the vision, he saw a tree. Uh, and he saw, uh, saw them come along and chop the tree down to a stump. Uh, and then Daniel came to him and told him, you're the tree and you're the stump. And if you don't repent of, how you're, of what your attitude is, God's going to bring these things to pass, okay? Well... A year after the vision, a year, a year after the warning, everything was back to normal for Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar began to say, look at all. He, he went out on his porch one day and he said, look at all this I've got by my might and by my power. And God struck him down that day. Did I not read to you? God raises kings up and he takes kings down. He raises kingdoms up and brings kingdoms down. And he said to, and he said to Nebuchadnezzar, he took Nebuchadnezzar's mind away from him and Nebuchadnezzar lived like a beast for seven years 
until such time as God returned his mind to him and Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar confessed uh, that there is one true God. Uh, and he knew that it was Daniel's God. And so I'll at least read that to you over here in this uh, uh, verses. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Verses begin with 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes. Uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine, my, mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And, I, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay, can, can stay his hand or say to him, what doest, that, what doest thou? At the same time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom and mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my Lord sought, sought, out, sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and an excellent majesty was added unto me. God raises kingdoms up. We also know, we, we find it laid out both in New and Old Testament scriptures. The Bible tells us the Pharaoh was raised up that God might show his power. So we have, we have numerous examples. Uh, I, could re I could go into the further part of this fourth chapter uh, uh, the, uh, or go into the, the second chapter of the book of Dan Daniel here uh, and talk about the kingdoms that are laid out. God prophesied and revealed unto Daniel there were going to be four kingdoms uh, that were going to come before the coming of Christ. Uh, and the last of all was the Roman Empire that was going to be raised up that would exist during the time of the coming of Christ. Uh, and, uh, and so... These kingdoms were foretold. God told that these kingdoms were going to come to pass. And it does not mean that every leader of these kingdoms were godly acting men, okay? It doesn't mean that. Uh, it doesn't mean that. But it did. But it do, but he does give us a responsibility to live under the civil laws of the government that we have. Whatever. You know why? Or, or, or maybe one reason why. You know, none of us know today. Uh, we do not know. God may have raised this government up for a particular reason. And you know what our responsibility to that government is? To, to be obedient to the laws and commandments that God has given us and to the rulers thereof. And I said I was going to mention there's one exception. And so now I will mention to you what the one exception is. And we'll first, uh, we'll lay it out. I'll at least relate to you two stories from the book of Daniel. Uh, first of all, uh, Daniel was told uh, uh, that he could not pray any longer uh, uh, to, his, to his God. Uh, Daniel had been going to his house uh, and, and praying uh, toward Jerusalem three times a day. And, and you can read this in the 6th chapter of the book of Daniel. I'm not going to read all of that because if I do, we won't even get anywhere near finished today. Uh, but uh, they were told uh, uh, that there was only going to be one God and they instituted this law. Why? To get to Daniel. Uh, those that were around the king did this uh, uh, to Nebuch convince Nebuchadnezzar to write a law that there was no God to be worshipped uh, uh, but uh, uh, the God which they said uh, and Nebuchadnezzar agreed to it and then Nebuchadnezzar knowing the heart of Daniel greatly regretted mm -hmm. that he had committed to that so, because Daniel was not going to stop worshipping his God. Alright? So, they, they instituted a law that says you cannot worship this God, any other God but this God. And, uh, and Daniel continued to go in his house. He didn't go into his house and close the doors, by the way. He went into his house with his windows open. He didn't do it in secret. He didn't try to hide what he was doing, that he was worshiping uh, the God of Israel. He went to his house and continued to pray three times a day. And the government officials came down there and caught him, presented it to the king, and you know the story. They threw Daniel in the den of lions. <clears throat> and all night the old king prayed and wondered, is Daniel going to be okay? <clears throat> Daniel, uh, God, the God of Daniel closed the mouths of the lions that night 
And the next morning, Daniel came out safe. Uh, we could also turn over to the third chapter uh, of this same book of Daniel. Uh, and we find three young men, uh, uh, commonly known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, uh, they were also told uh, that there was only one God that they could worship. Uh, uh, and, uh, and so uh, they, they continued to worship their God. And they were thrown into the fiery furnace down there. And God protected them in the fiery furnace. Uh, because not only uh, uh, once they heated it up, like eight, ten times hotter than normal so that it was glowing red and probably white uh, so that they could actually see through the metal uh, that was there. Uh, the, uh, the king said, I see three. I don't see three in the fire. I see four and one is likened to the Son of God. Uh, so uh, we have two examples here of these men that were told they couldn't worship their God and they did anyway. God took care of them. Okay, now let's turn to Acts. Uh, we'll turn to Acts chapter 4, and then we'll get to Acts chapter 5. We could go on, uh, but this is the exception clause, okay? Or what I call the exception clause. We are to be obedient to the government, but when the government begins to tell you you cannot worship the one true and living God, or you've got to worship some other God besides the one true and living God, then our answer should be uh, the same as the apostles were here in Acts chapter 4. Uh, this government uh, uh, at this time uh, was the uh, Sadducees and the uh, probably the Sanhedrin government of the Jews, uh, but they came to the, came to the apostles uh, and told them uh, that says verse 8 uh, and when they had set them in the midst and asked them by what power or by what name they had done this okay I'll give you the story real quick uh, they had healed a man uh, who had been lame all of his life James uh, uh, John and Peter uh, uh, when he was when they were coming into the temple uh, the finally the the uh, the leaders of the land called and says by what authority and what power did you do this blah 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 you know I can just see him kind of Gruffy Huffy, can't you? Uh, by what power did you do? You, did, you didn't come to us for authority. Uh, what, by what authority are you doing this? And Peter filled with the Holy Ghost, verse 8, chapter 4 of Acts. Peter filled with the Holy Ghost said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if, if we this day be examined of good deed done to the impotent man, and by what means he was made whole, be it known unto you, unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him did this man stand here before you whole." This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders and which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none, none other name under heaven, uh, none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. You know, ignorant men doesn't mean they were stupid. That just means they, they weren't people of education. Was, was what the implication of these men. They, they were unlearned in the sense they hadn't been trained up as priests. They hadn't been to school in such ways. And so they took note. These men were, are, are unlearned and ignorant in what we consider education. And they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. What was the difference for them? They had been with Jesus. And, they behold, and beholding the man which was healed and standing with them, they could say nothing against it. They knew the man that had been healed because he'd been healed, he'd been uh, impotent all of his life. And there he is standing there with them. Look at me, I'm okay. And, uh, and so, you know, and it was like, what can we say? This is not some parlor trick they pulled off. This man is actually healed. And, we, and they're saying they did it by the name of Jesus. And who are we to argue with them? And when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. And that it but that it spread no further among the people... Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in his name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at, at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken to you more than to God, ye judge. There again, and it's laid out again in the fifth chapter of the same book of Acts. You can read it over there. Uh, 
verse 29 of the fifth chapter, I'll just read this. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said unto them, We ought to obey God rather than men. Again, they had put them in prison uh, for preaching the gospel. Uh, God opened the prison doors for them night and let the apostles all out. And they were found the next day teaching in the temple. And then uh, as they came and confronted them about it, Peter's answer to them was, uh, was that, uh, that we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, see, you can take, if you take any of this, listen to me. If, if you take any, if, you, if I just read you that scripture this morning and said, well, Peter said we're to obey God rather than man, then that gives you one view of things. If I go and read out Romans 13 and says we're to be obedient to the ordinances of God, you know, we're to be obedient to the ordinances of man, you know, in government here. They're ordained of God. You're to be obedient to them. And I didn't tell you this verse or about what happened in Daniel. Then I have not told you the full story. Okay, so you've got to rightly divide the word of truth. We are to be obedient to the ordinances of man and to the rulers of God because God raises kings up and he takes kings down. All right, and so whether we look at it, we might look at it and say, well, that doesn't look like a very good man that's, uh, that's, that's serving as our, as our president. It's not up to you to figure all that out. It's not up to you to be responsible for all that. You know what our responsibility is? To serve God, keep the laws, and as long as they don't command us not to uh, worship God, then we're to get on about doing and paying our taxes and doing what we should be. Why? Because it's for the good of the kingdom and it's for the honor of God that we be law-abiding citizens in the land that we're living in. God raised up the government to punish evildoers. Vengeance is not mine. Vengeance is God's. He says, I will repay. You know who he'll, re who he'll repay? If governments get out of line, he repays them too. Right? Governments get out of line, it's not my job. It's not my job to start a rebellion, lead a rebellion, and so forth. It's my, my job to serve God while I'm here. Now, yeah. <laughs> More. I'm sorry, y'all, for those that might be. Yeah, I thought for sure I could do all this, but then I probably should have done. Now, so let me give you a couple of other things for you to think about along with this. Let's turn over to John chapter 19. Jesus himself was obedient to local government. Jesus, when the Sanhedrin came and took him away, uh, the soldiers of the Sanhedrin... He didn't, he didn't immediately, you, you, know, you know what Jesus could have done? Jesus, yes, Sister Marcia, he could have simply waved his arm, my friends, and they would have all fallen dead. And he would have been just in doing that because Jesus Christ was an innocent man. But he went away with them. Now, men, you know, he, he had a greater purpose in going and, and dying the death that he died. But my point to you is to point out that Jesus Christ was obedient to, uh, to, the, to the local governments and to those uh, uh, that were in, a, in authority. As they brought him before Jewish leaders, he, he, was, uh, he was respectful. As they brought him before Roman leaders, he was respectful. We find here in the 19th chapter of the book of John, and it says, uh, uh, the Jew, verse 7, it says, The Jews answered him, we have, the, we have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was more afraid, and went in again to the judgment hall, and saith to Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? I'm a, I'm a ruler here in this city, and you won't answer my question. He says, Knowest thou not that I have the power to crucify thee, and I have power to release thee? And Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivereth me unto thee hath the greater sin. Jesus says, The only reason you've got power, Pilate, it's because my Father's given you power. That's the only reason you've got any power at all. And so Jesus went to the cross as an innocent man and died uh, not only for our sins, but, but in obedience to the local government. He, he was innocent. He could have stood there and railed and railed and railed. I'm innocent. What are y'all doing this to me? He went quietly. First of all, he had a purpose of saving us. 
And secondly, he was obedient to government. Paul went away to Rome and appealed his case where they were accusing him. He appealed to the Roman government and went to Rome eventually because he was appealing to local government. But he was obedient to them and to their laws. Okay, so I didn't get, th I didn't get to where I wanted to go to, but I'll, I'll add this verse in with it. Uh, you can go read Matthew chapter 22, and you'll read over there as, as uh, people were questioning, even in Jesus' day, do we really owe taxes to this illegal Roman government? And, uh, and Jesus said, uh, bring, me, bring me one of the coins. They brought him a coin. He looked at the coin and says, Who, whose image is on the coin? They said, Caesar's. He says, render therefore to Caesar the things that are due to Caesar and unto God the things that are due to God. So, uh, you can begin to see, we've got a responsibility. Our responsibility is to be obedient to the laws of the, of the kings and the kingdoms that are set up because God has ordained them to be so. And as long as they don't tell us to not worship our God, we should have full obedience to, be, to follow after uh, the things of government. Why? So that society can be orderly without laws, without civil government, without the things that keep things in order, it would be chaos. And God set it up so that things would be orderly here in this old world. May God bless you. We'll, I guess we'll finish 13 next week uh, since I didn't quite get through with it. Uh, but man, isn't it great stuff? To, what does God say about our responsibility to government? You and I are to follow after the laws of the land as long as it's not in uh, direct conflict with the worshiping God. May God bless you is our prayer.